Hello and welcome. Welcome to The Connected Generation. My name is Nikia Anani and I'm your host. Well, this week. So a thing about me is that Nikia, I like to think of myself as a bit of a rebel. So things that disrupt new concepts, new ideas, they absolutely fascinate me. And the duo that were on the podcast this week, a duo, founders of a consultancy called Genome Advisory, Ronnie and Simon, impeccable human beings that are so inspiring and just have so much knowledge, expertise. They've been such a blessing getting to know them over the last year. This duo are on the brink of something so new and revolutionary in the industry, and that is genomics. I'm not a scientist. I studied social science, economics, so I'm not even going to try to pretend (laughs) to try to tell you the implications of genomics. I'm just going to keep it overview. Essentially, what this is all about is how can families like yours, like mine, use information on science, on DNA to consciously cultivate better health and also not only consciously cultivate better health, so that's more like a proactive, like positive, but also mitigate risk of health issues, right? How can families optimize DNA? And on their website, they give a scenario which is just, it brings color to their work, which I think is just so apt. And they say, imagine a seemingly healthy 35-year-old family member who assumes the CEO position of a global family enterprise. On the second day of his tenure, he sustains a cardiac arrest and dies. The risk of his death, could that have been mitigated using currently available actionable DNA medical science of genomics? The answer is yes. This is just, whoa, mind-blowing, revolutionary. I think we all need to listen to this and we all need to start thinking about how we can use science to apply to our families, family offices, our family enterprises to really add value, to increase our family health and family well-being. So they are the experts (laughs) and they know so much and they pour so much. So listen in. This is an episode that you may need to listen a couple of times because there's a lot in that, but it's so value-adding. And so enjoy. Ronnie and Simon, welcome to the Connected Generation. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us. We are delighted. It is indeed a pleasure for both of us to be here with you to discuss the critical importance of genetics for families of wealth and the systems that support them. And we are especially excited to highlight the special relevance on many levels for your next-gen audience. I must say, you're the first people I've ever come across to talk about this kind of confluence between next-gen world, family office, and epigenetics, genetics, genomics, all these fancy, fancy, difficult scientific terms. But before we get into that, I'm always, always intrigued by people's stories. How did you get to where you are today? What led you to establish Genome Advisory? Thanks, Nikkei. We'll certainly get to the definition of all those fun and fancy terms for you. But 
Ronnie and I bring a contrasting and complementary set of professional expertise to genome advisory. I'm the product of two geneticists. I grew up playing in labs and wanting to do and practice as little science as possible when I grew up. So after I graduated law school, I moved to the United States to pursue work in the family office sector, which is where Ronnie and I met. After some time working together, supporting global families and advisors, our work sort of moved into this sort of organic migration into the biosciences space. So I guess DNA has probably always been in my genes. <laughs> but okay, I would add to that and say clearly it was necessary for these Australian genes and DNA to be moved to the United States to fully <laughs> express and flourish themselves in the area of the science. So the United States is grateful for that. And we'll talk about that later. That's an epigenetic prescription. <laughs> and as for me, I'm a physician. I'm a psychiatrist, clinical professor of psychiatry at the University of Washington, and served as chief medical and health consultant to international families in Switzerland and the United Kingdom and Liechtenstein and the Middle East close to 15 years. And I think the simplest way of putting it is that Ronnie and I founded Genome Advisory to ensure families live longer, healthier, mm. and more fulfilling lives as part of exceptional life and family planning. Okay, before we say anything more about genome advisory and some of the, as you described, with the, the terms that sound complicated and maybe a little scary, we thought about how to begin this today and decided to start by sharing with you a story, a mm. story about an incredible woman named Alice. And let me be very clear, we have her explicit permission to discuss. And furthermore, if any of your audience or if you want to learn anything more about Alice, she would be delighted to hear from you. So Alice was introduced to us by her trusted family office chief financial advisor. They are a wealthy family in Israel. Alice learned in her 30s while pregnant that she had an extremely rare genetic disease that had no known cure. And while she knew she could not do anything to control the expression of that gene, she was searching for what she could do to live her best possible life, one that had purpose and meaning. And after a series of consultations, we met with Alice in Boston, where we connected her to our literal global network of the greatest bioscientists in the field. And as a result of these introductions, we have helped Alice and her family transform their philanthropic strategy. They have created a biobank in Israel that provides open access to biologic samples, which are studied by international researchers 
We are guiding her family in the creation of a genomics charter to assist all of them and future generations as they navigate this irritable disease. We promoted her story of the development of a new kind of philanthropy to the New York Times, where she was profiled in Paul Sullivan's Money Matters column. And we featured Alice as the protagonist of Harvard Business School's first ever case on genomics in the family office, which we co-authored and co-taught. And let me add another dimension. Her cells, Nike, are now circling the earth as part of a series of experiments being conducted by Space Pharma on the International Space Station. And I think Ronnie and I wanted to share Alice's story with your audience, Nike, specifically because of the many next-gen issues it raises. Mm -hmm. Because in her extended family, and this is a remarkable number, there are 150 people at risk for carrying this dreaded disease. Wow. This gene. 150 people have a 50% probability that they carry the gene. And the vast majority have never been tested, many of whom are in their 20s, their teens, and even younger. And they are all now next gen to Alice, and mm -hmm. the gene was first discovered when she was in her, as I said, 30s. And Alice is now 49 years old, the age at which her father died. And as Ronnie mentioned, Alice was the featured protagonist of the case study we co-authored and co-taught at Harvard Business School for the second time last month. In the case discussion with over 80 high net worth individuals and family office advisors, many participants advocated for required genetic testing, some mm -hmm. suggesting that next-gen family members should not be allowed to assume positions of leadership in the family mm -hmm. business unless they were tested. Others strongly objected to mandated testing, which they deemed unethical. It's so interesting to get a cohort of people that are so mm. united in so many different ways and to see so many contrasting perspectives around one issue. Mm. It's really exciting. And I would only add to that, Nike, that Simon just suggested, it was literally thrilling to us. And this was the capstone case the second time we presented it a few weeks ago because of the response as well in the first case, the level of engagement in the discussion, the range of opinions, watching mm -hmm. people change their minds. And it reminded me of something I heard David Sinclair, a preeminent Harvard longevity scientist say recently, if you want to change the world, don't start with a technology, start with important questions. Mm -hmm. And these life sciences, the DNA sciences, certainly stimulate those. 100, 100%. I must firstly applaud you guys with your line of work, your 
discovering new frontiers in this family office world. And as you were describing the story as the story, my mind was just buzzing with different questions and different scenarios that it poses, like you said, for families of wealth, for them to consider genetics, genomics, epigenetics. So perhaps let's start with the ABCs, the 101 on (laughs) DNA sciences. Can you explain the difference between genetics, genomics, and epigenetics? I absolutely will, but these are not to be memorized. (laughs) Trust me, we're not memorizing them. (laughs) (laughs) To be discussed. So genetics. I'll bet you, UK, you learned about genetics way back when in school. Biology class. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mendel and the pea plans, the experiments Mm -hmm. in the 1860s. And genetics is simply the study of heredity and of individual genes, which have long been understood to be a major determinant of health and well-being. Epigenetics comes from the combination of genetics and the prefix epi, which is Greek for above, the unseen system Mm -hmm. above the genes, which turn them on and off. Mm -hmm. So epigenetics involves changes in our biology caused by modifications in the gene expression rather than the genes themselves. And factors that influence our epigenetics are everyday lifestyle factors, and the list is endless. But the main ones, diet, nutrition, physical activity, alcohol intake, psychological, spiritual well-being, sleep, stress, environmental toxins. Remarkably, Alice has located in Israel eight people who have this gene, 100% have this gene alive in their 90s, never became ill. Wow. Why? The scientists are studying. They're studying many things, but they are mostly focusing epigenetics, Mm. their lifestyles, their environments. Were they living in particular ways so as to limit the expression of these genes? So genomics is the plural, if you will. Genomics is the study of all of our genetic information, not just the color of our peas. So Today, we can map and analyze the entirety of an individual's genome through a process called whole genome sequencing. And this technology is fostering precision medicine. It's the fundamental, the base Mm -hmm. of precision medicine and ultimately preventive medicine. I would add, and this is really a stunning statistic or a bit of information, the first whole genome was sequenced back in 2003. It took 13 years of many hundreds of scientists 
and it cost $3 billion. Wow. Now it's a couple thousand dollars and it can be done by a series of very complex machines and one can get results back, return of results about a month. And that's not because of the actual machine learning of doing the sequencing, but the analysis of the data, which still requires some human input. So I want to end this little segment where I started. We only require the most fundamental understanding about these concepts. Mm. One does not need to be a scientist. One does need to be a critical thinker. Much like using a computer, we don't have to be engineers. While we have fun on the internet, we do have a responsibility to think carefully about what we're doing and what are its implications. I love that you said that. And I love that analogy you just gave. We don't have to be techie and understand all the detail of the science, but we just need to know how to apply it appropriately and think critically. And I guess that's one of the most important skills we need in our 21st century disruptive world is critical thinking. So why are these sciences of genetics, genomics, and epigenetics relevant to family offices and family businesses? So genes really are the ultimate connector amongst family generations, which raise all kinds of issues for personal and family dynamics, as well as family office, enterprise, operations, and function. And there are personal reasons that come up for us as human beings in terms of health and mm-hmm. longevity, psychological issues that come up mm-hmm. related to inheritance of genes, as Simon just suggested, systems and operational issues related to poor functions of family offices and businesses, succession planning, estate planning, trust creation, and legacy issues. And ultimately, all of these DNA sciences are relevant because they are essential to family health and well-being that is to the promotion of human capital. Family offices are all about families and human capital. And the wealth of a family ultimately is irrelevant if there is not health. Hmm. Resources can be utilized not only to treat medical disorders, but to protect against them and to enhance healthy longevity, not only in the context of one's individual family, but as Alice and her family have chosen to do on a global level as well. Incredible, incredible. And so what are the opportunities for family offices and this world of the sciences? So we think about it in three buckets. Enhancing health is one, mitigating risk is a second, and then promoting and ensuring family legacy as the third amongst the opportunities that come with understanding one's DNA. It's also important to remember that genes are not absolute destiny. So like Ronnie was referring to how we live our lives, how we design our lives is going to have an impact on the expression of our genes. And that's something I get really excited about is that kind of agency that comes with that. How we live our lives does impact our health. 
and our health spans and the health of our families Mm. and the health of the systems that surround our families, which is a really exciting concept. So how we design our environments, both internal and external, how I live our lives have significant implications on the expression of our genes. As we described, the explosive new field of epigenetics is already helping individuals and families live longer, healthier lives with greater sense of agency. I love that you brought that up, agency. That's one of my favorite words and concepts. Yeah, well, especially, sorry, Ronnie. especially within the context of the last year. I mean, mm. so many of us felt powerless in 2020, especially mm-hmm. over our health. So to get mm-hmm. a sense of agency back is a really exciting concept. And as you were both suggesting, we all hope that agency and personal responsibility are two of the sequelae of COVID that Mm. do not disappear. They're really profound lessons. But to get back to the issue of epigenetics and to make this as real as possible as we can for you, we wanted to give you one specific example of a tool we frequently use with families, one that has a clear and measurable impact, provides data, metrics. We all like that. So after we get to know an individual or a family, we typically recommend a relatively simple epigenetic test, one which measures biologic age and cumulative rate of aging. Biologic age, which is the functional age of your cells, Mm -hmm. is different from sometimes, often, from our chronologic age, which relates to the most recent birthday one Mm -hmm. celebrated. Biologic age, so just to be very specific, so one can be chronologically 30 years old, but have Mm -hmm. a biologic age of 25, of 35. And in fact, he made the prediction as we were going through in the United States, COVID, and I say that with great sensitivity to the fact that globally, while things are, we're seeing some light at the end of the tunnel in the United States, there are areas of the globe and Mm -hmm the worst is yet to come. So I say that most respectfully. But we made the prediction that in the United States, COVID was going to be an epigenetic risk factor as a function of the social isolation, chronic anxiety, the constant sense of risk and the need to constantly calculate risk people's habits around sleeping, eating, physical activity all change. And we thought that would be a negative factor. And we're seeing some anecdotal data about that currently. But in any case, this biologic age test, Mm -hmm. again, which measures cumulative rate of aging, can also be improved through positive interventions that encourage resilience by improving your diet, all the things that we know, Mm -hmm. but but can quantify 
exercise, sleep, reduction of stress, exposure to toxins, etc. One can reduce your cumulative rate of aging. And we can remeasure this through retesting periodically mm-hmm. over time to see how we're doing, to see whether changes in how we are taking care of ourselves alter those numbers and the specific science that allows us to alter those numbers continues to develop and improve. So there's a wonderful thing about that test, retest, retest, retest over time. And as with most or all preventive health care, the sooner you start, the better. So that's why this is an especially useful and exciting tool for next gen. Genes have always influenced family health and well-being. However, today we can see our genes, we can understand them, and we can take positive action. And we know that many families of wealth have familiarity with the DNA sciences through investments in biotechnology and the like. But we appreciate that the introduction and personal application of these complex DNA sciences presents a very compelling, albeit sometimes confusing puzzle as these fields are so fast moving and technical with powerful implications affecting families now and across generations. Really, really powerful. It's really interesting. I was just reading up on the difference between chronological age biological age and then social age. So as you were talking, I was like, oh my goodness, so you can change your biological age. That's really interesting. You suggested that NextGen has a special role in this area. Can you elaborate further? Well, I have a wonderful vignette I thought I would offer. I like stories about Blackberries and iPhones and a family office in which I was embedded for quite a few years. So the official family office mobile communication device was the BlackBerry, capital letters. And IT would not assist in issues related to any other devices. So iPhones came out. They were extraordinarily popular. And I will use the word kids loosely, but the next gen, the younger people in the family We're told by IT that these new devices literally were dangerous because they had major security and privacy issues. And the next gen loved their iPhones. They rebelled against the family offices by losing their Blackberry (laughs) in every conceivable body of water. Anytime they were near a swimming pool, a sea, an ocean, a pond, their blackberry <laughs> managed to get submerged or lost. And they persisted with the phones. And it was just constantly adversarial in the end. And it probably took almost two years. The family office converted to iPhones as their official communication device for over a hundred employees as well as the family. But a lot was lost during that period of time. The family office 
could have brought the group together, IT, the elders, and the youngins, and they could have studied security and privacy as a group. They could have made an attempt to mutually understand the needs, the concerns of different generations. But instead, the process was polarizing. It was argumentative. And although the kids prevailed, and I use the word kids, I apologize for that, but the next gens, and at that point it was plural, they did prevail in the end. And yet what was lost was an opportunity to come together, to unite, to learn, to build, to grow together. So thinking about that experience, I think about these emerging technologies which have been emerging for a long time, but the applications today are finally relevant to real people, not just laboratory animals. Older generations may not see the relevance of these life sciences. Next gen and future generations will likely be the real beneficiaries, Mm -hmm. especially the longevity findings, but everyone must begin planning now. For instance, just literally over this holiday weekend, I something about my holiday weekend, I read a study in which discussed a particular mutation in our blood stem cells that caused them to multiply uncontrollably and is a process that was associated with increased, rapidly increased cellular aging, cancer, heart disease, and death. However, one can today regularly bank stem cells starting in the late teens of all of next gen in Mm -hmm. any family to give to our future selves for unknown developments and treatments in the future. That's called biobanking. And family offices and businesses are all about risk mitigation. This Mm. is a powerful example of risk mitigation that families need to understand. And I see with assistance, next gen can be the leaders they can convey the importance as they see it. They can bring in speakers. They can bring in translators. Again, they don't have to be the scientists, mm-hmm. but they can bring in people who can translate the science for the family to begin to initiate important discussions that convey, we as a family want to emphasize human capital, What is our wealth for? We want it to promote health. As a group, they can initiate discussions about ethics. And again, as we illustrated with Alice, they can initiate implications for a new kind of social impact philanthropy. Excellent. So what are the risks and common mistakes people make in this area? So a really common one is that families and advisors will just do nothing. 
that is to not take advantage of this science at a time when it is safe to do so. This is often described in behavioral finance literature as the ostrich effect, just sinking mm-hmm. your head in the sand and, and pretending it's not there. And it's dangerous to ignore information and to avoid learning. I have been in an auditorium at Harvard in which the principal speaker asked the audience, who here has had their genome sequenced? And the majority of hands went up. Well, that was unusual. And so the speaker then made the distinction. Let me be clear. I'm not talking about direct-to-consumer testing like 23andMe, etc., in which the product is genotyping, that is, pre-identified little snippets of genes are examined. So, for instance, with BRCA mutations for, for breast cancer, there are thousands of BRCA mutations, but in 23andMe, they only examine two, the most common, but only two. So if you're an outlier who has one of many others, but one of the rare ones, you're told you don't have, or you can conclude, I don't have to worry about breast cancer on the basis of genetics. So 23andMe specifically, because they publish this, I can cite this, they analyze approximately 0.2% of your genetic material whole genome sequencing analyzes 100%. So once this clarification was made, the professor said, now who here has your genome sequence? And maybe three people out of the several hundred in the audience raised their hands. So there's certainly a huge educational component that's required and a really essential one. And families and advisors really must start planning for extended life and health spans Mm. and be prepared for new kinds of financial and emotional challenges related to succession planning and support. And we even posit that failing to acknowledge and take action in this space may one day constitute a breach of due diligence and even fiduciary obligation. And that's said by a lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) Your families are navigating a lot more complexity you know, from this disruptive landscape to COVID, you've added a whole new dimension for what they need to watch out for. It's really important that they're guided by advisors that understand this. And just following on from that thought process, how can they engage in and benefit from life sciences? Well, I think you just said it. And I have said this specifically now a number of times in this brief discussion we can't all and shouldn't aim to become scientists, Mm. but we should learn, as you suggest, the art and science of critical thinking. And that includes vetting advisors who can translate complex science and help families think about what is important. In the end, family destiny is shared Genetics is not a solo sport. So what one person learns about back to those peas and the inherited qualities of color 
what one person learns about his or her genes has relevance for others. Simon and I, in one of the first conferences we went to, heard from an identical twin who was a postdoc at Harvard in genetics, and she wanted whole genome sequencing for herself. But her identical twin, who would have identical genetic material, was absolutely opposed for a variety of reasons. Nikkei, imagine the dilemma, the ethical dilemma for both the sister, but even the physician Mm. of the sister, if anything were learned that might have dire consequences or had actionable opportunities in the data set if there wasn't consent, if one twin didn't want to know. And as it turned out, follow-up several years later was that did happen in the context of the pregnancy of the twin who had her genome sequenced. It turned out she had a gene that was responsible for a particular reaction to a medication that was not infrequently given during the process of birth. And she told her sister in the end, and I would add, by the way, that amongst healthy individuals, Nikkei, 80% of us, 80% of healthy individuals carry a gene that is responsible for an unanticipated finding in terms of how we respond to a particular medication. And in rare cases of those 80% of experienced side effects, but you don't want to learn about one of those when you're unconscious in an emergency room after being hit by a car. Mm-hmm. 80% of us have those. I learned about one for myself, for a very common medication, a blood thinner. And I know that now. It's in my wallet. It's on all my medical records. Mm-hmm. So if I were unconscious, I would not be given this drug. I was just going to ask a question. Yes, just- please. How does one actually take that step to be more conscious? What does that look like? Do I just go to my primary physician and say, I want all the blood tests in the world. I want you to check out what does that look like to actually start to investigate one's genetics, genomics, epigenetics, or does it entail working with folks like yourselves? And then you then kind of interface with healthcare physicians and things just... Well, sadly, Nikkei, and this is another episode <laughs> for us, <laughs> the state of healthcare in the world. Other countries have it better. In the United States, we are so thoroughly broken. While we talk about personalized and precision medicine, it's always in the future tense. And prevention is not the medical model. The medical model now is you're broken, you have a symptom, something is wrong, it needs Mm -hmm. to be fixed, and the focus is on the fix. Sadly, if you had a disorder of unknown etiology and Mm -hmm. there were a potential that it might be on the basis of uh, genetics, then it's likely your doctor would send you to a specialist who would then investigate genetic etiology. 
for healthy people, though, it's not so easy. We're looking, going to medical school now, students are being exposed to a different kind of medicine. They are aware of genetics, genomics, epigenetics, and all of that. Having said that, though, in a system in which people focuses on illness, it's still very, very difficult to have the time or the opportunity. It's the rare physician who can offer that to his or her patients and clients. There are some clinics across the world that look at healthy people people in the absence of a genetic disease who are interested, who are curious, who want to plan. So yes, counsel is needed. Translators are needed. Simon, maybe you want to add to that as well. And yes, that in fact is some of the work that we do. Mm -hmm. I read recently David Sinclair, whom I quoted before, said Within five years, the annual physical will be a thing of like a dinosaur from the past because we'll have so many sources of continuous input that are analyzed by AI, input Mm -hmm. of various biologic processes. Whole genome sequencing will go from a couple of thousand dollars to a couple of hundred to now we are doing projects funded in the United States at least we are doing infant at birth sequencing and that may become standard, but it certainly is not standard today. I will comment as well. A lot of the medical system right now is very siloed. So you'll go to your cardiologist for your heart. You'll go to your shrink to talk through your issues and get your antidepressants. You go to your dermatologist for the skin. There's no one really that's sort of over everything. And Mm -hmm. the thing about genetics is that it impacts all silos of medicine. Mm -hmm. So when we work with families, Ronnie and I really suggest a family nominate someone within the family or the family advisory to sort of spearhead these new projects uh, related to genetic discovery. And a huge part of that responsibility is creating a safe space where all these things can be addressed. And promote education and buy-in is obviously going to be a really critical part of that function. And then also liaising, I think, with advisors that maybe don't have a medical background is going to be really critical. So putting the science in terms that are understandable by all members of the system is going to be really key. And speaking to the benefits, speaking to the risks, and really communicating clearly around this One of the ways we do that is with a family genomics charter, which Ronnie referenced earlier. And the idea there is that it's a sort of living, breathing document that can guide ethical decision-making, not just now, but also in the future as issues come up. Mm -hmm. And each family's ethical considerations should be guided by things like family values, culture, religious preferences, and of course, family traditions. Taking this even further, Simon, if we think about the primary causes of morbidity and mortality, even globally, they are cardiovascular disease, cancer, and neurodegenerative diseases. And in their silos, they are studied and treated. One can take 
an altogether different perspective. And increasingly, there is tremendous momentum behind this. And understand that aging, biologic aging, is the disease, the umbrella that trumps all. And that cardiovascular disease, cancer, and the neurodegenerative diseases are subsets. They are symptoms, if you will, of aging. And so to the extent that we begin to focus, and we are tremendously worldwide now, focusing on aging, on the prevention of unhealthy aging, we will impact the morbidity and the mortality of all of these diseases. And that is really a genetics and genomics and epigenetics proposition. And very, very exciting. Wow. This has been so, so, so mind-blowing. I've learned so much. Like my brain is just soaking in so much information. I need to listen to this episode so many times to start to reflect on, so what does this mean as a next-gen? And what does this mean as a family business owner or a family office owner, what have you? So if anyone wants to get hold of you to have further conversation or to explore working with you, how best can they reach you? So you can head to genomeadvisory.com, which is our website. But Ronnie's email is stangler, S-T-A-N-G-L-E-R, at genomeadvisory.com. And we're always happy to answer questions and help people make this brave first step into a really transformative and exciting area of science. I think as part of taking the brave first step, a powerful thought to end on is a quote from George Church, who is without a doubt one of the most creative, prolific scientists in the world. He's at the Department of Genetics at Harvard Medical School. And to me, he has said it the best. And this is a quotation. It's all too easy to dismiss the future. People confuse what's impossible today with what's impossible tomorrow. Life is going to be transformed in this age of the biosciences as we've exited or in the process of exiting the last half of the last century, the, the digital age and the half century prior to that, the age of the atom. We are going to flourish in the age of the biosciences. And family offices and family businesses are in a unique position to embrace this age in whatever form or forms it makes sense for them to do. But in order to do that, they have to look at it. They have to examine it in all its messiness and in all its glory. Wow. What a spectacular way to end, Ronnie. Thank you. You're coming back because I feel like <laughs> you're both coming back. I feel like I need to firstly study and listen to this episode. And then I'm going to have my questions based on... <laughs> What I learned. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to get practical. All right. Wow. Awesome. Thank you we so much. To it. Thanks for having us. Take care. Take care. Wow. 
That was fascinating. There's a quote on their website, which I absolutely love, by George Church, who says, It's all too easy to dismiss the future. People confuse what's impossible today with what's impossible tomorrow. And ain't that the truth? I think I agree with Simon and Ronnie. We're moving into an era where literally health will be wealth. (laughs) We say it, like health is wealth. But I think it still feels like a very esoteric concept. But we're seeing it come into action. And this is really important because there are particular issues that wealthy families face, right? In the past, we focused on wealth preservation, growth of financial capital. But really, we are in the future going to start seeing that health is literally wealth. And this work that Ronnie and Simon are doing is so important because, as they say, genomics infuses and guides all aspects of health and well-being. And even the way we govern our families and our enterprises will be impacted and affected by the knowledge of genomics and epigenetics. We can enhance the human capital because essentially human capital is a function of health, well-being, vitality, longevity of family members. So we can literally impact on the health. We can impact on the wealth of families. The thing is, new concepts are often resisted. They take time to get buy-in. They take time to really reflect upon. And I invite you to just reflect. It might seem a bit scary because it's something that you might not have considered or done before in a family. But reflect, listen, educate yourself, read on this topic. So thank you so much for listening in this week. Take good care and God bless you.